Welcome to Compere Financial's Appraisal Report, a podcast discussing all things farm real estate, including land prices, auction information, and appraisal analysis brought to you by the appraisal team at Compere Financial. Compere is committed to enhancing life in agriculture and rural America. Our guest for this episode is Andrew Wendland, a certified appraiser with Compere Financial. Let's go ahead and have you sort of describe your part of central Minnesota, the, the area, the characteristics of it, especially for, you know, we're talking about uh, farmland values, things of that nature. So how would you characterize your part of the state? Uh, unbelievably variable. Uh, it's probably the best way that I can describe it, which makes my job really fun um, and interesting. That's why I do really enjoy what I do. Um, southern part of my territory uh you know, basically kind of coincides with southern Minnesota. So uh, extremely heavy, loamy soils, um, a lot of hog influence. So very, very strong value, very, um, you know, really good growing crop conditions um, and kind of stretches uh, around the Twin Cities metro area where I do see you know, more transitional egg. I see uh, some development kind of projects um, and a lot of um, lakeshore influence, stuff like that. Just uh, the same metro influence you might see in like Chicago lands or around Madison, Wisconsin. Um, and then uh, going a little bit farther north uh, around our St. Cloud area kind of uh, gets even more a little bit of a transition where there's uh, basically a humongous sand plain following the Mississippi River. Um, so a little bit more interesting and variable soils there with some pockets of you know, really, really light soils that require intensive irrigation um, to grow a, a suitable crop. And then some pockets of really, really heavy ground as we kind of get on the other side of that. Uh, and then we start looking more at a shorter growing season to some extent and uh, drainage becomes our bigger concern. So really uh, a really wide variety of, uh, of uh, a landscape in, in our area. Well, you're not kidding. Extremely diverse. And as we look at farmland values over the past year maybe we want to go back a little bit further than that even what have you seen the market do probably similar to you know the majority of the marketplace that we're seeing um you know really uh big rise end of 2021 kind of coinciding with our commodity markets a little bit there and obviously low interest rates and it kind of plateaued i'd say kind of a little bit early last year and then you know uh, we had a little bit of, you know, kind of the same influences. We weren't really sure what our crop was going to look like. Maybe some drought-related impacts. We had the rise in interest rates. And it was pretty stable. It was stronger than it had been the prior year. Um, and then this fall and going through the early part of this year, um, really, really strong sales again. Actually, historically strong sales, um, even above the prior couple of years. Um, just kind of bucking all the trends that we would have kind of considered again with the you know the fed pushing up their interest rates uh but we're seeing a lot of outside investor influence to some extent we're just alternative investors versus the actual you know farming market and there don't get me wrong there's quite a few farmers that are you know taking advantage of you know if they have any ppp money remaining or just again really good commodities and a little bit of cash heavy guys that they're moving on properties that maybe had their eyes on for a while, uh, but we're just seeing really strong prices continuing. Um, you know, despite some of these other factors that are popping up that you know are pretty consistent nationwide, but especially in the Midwest, you know, fertilizer inputs, all these other factors. 
Andrew, how would you sort of describe the the supply and demand situation with land right now? Uh, it seems there's still very strong interest in land, and uh, maybe a limited supply is helping to keep values elevated. Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, when we're seeing uh, publicly advertised auctions, we're getting a lot of response. Uh, far, you know, probably two or three times the number of interested parties showing up, and you know, there's always some spectators there, but. Um, a lot of interested parties just because there hasn't been a place maybe for, uh, you know, their excess monies to go. And they're just, there's interest right now in the marketplace. They're, people are more interested in putting their money or their money in the land than almost anything else. Um, there are areas where it's been more available than others. I'd say the southern part of my territory, again, the Sibley, McLeod counties, uh, for those that are listening, um, They've had a, a, a really good pace of auctions kind of all year. And then kind of the farther I go north, it's been really sporadic. I have a couple of counties that they're not typically the most active, but we would see, you know, a dozen sales a year that we would consider good sales. And a couple of them only have three or four in the last 18 months. So it's just there's there's interested parties out there and there's nothing moving. Um, and so those sales that have come up have been really, really strong just because, you know, a really, you know, an over a buyer pool versus just a limited number of seller offerings. It's probably very difficult to forecast ahead, uh, given that uh, even with some of those factors that would be headwinds, higher interest rates, uh, higher input costs, uh, we don't know what the Federal Reserve is going to do in the next 12 months. But as you think ahead through 2023, what do you expect the farmland market to do? I anticipate it to some extent to stay flat. I, I would guess I just can't rationale in my mind where we would continue to see an upward swing to some extent. Um, but I do think it's going to have a big influence on, I guess, kind of where these commodity futures go. Um, you know, if we can hold these markets, then I, I think there will still be some interest. And I, I do think that, um, basically, you know, the investor groups or the alternative buyers, they're going to remain strong, especially as the stock market is kind of, you know, all over the place right now with, you know, some signs of, you know, a little bit slowing down there too. Uh, I would imagine it holds up. I just can't imagine we go much higher. But again, if commodity prices uh, do take a little bit of a tumble here, that's going to at least turn in my mind a lot of the, the farmer buyers off of uh, future purchases just because that's going to tighten these margins really, really fast and make it pretty tough. You gave us a great description earlier of how diverse central Minnesota really is. And with green energy, we're starting to see that more and more across the Midwest. Is that occurring in central Minnesota as well? Yeah, there's some pretty good grids uh, available for solar, especially. Uh, we don't have as much as a wind turbine or that kind of energy, at least in my 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 core territory um but especially uh like i kind of mentioned uh, the area around st cloud is a uh, you know along the mississippi river is a big sand plain um and the state of minnesota for more or less has defined that ground as um you know rotable soils and therefore not prime ag quote unquote um so they've kind of identified this area as a really good target for solar and it's it's very interesting for me, and I grew up in southern Minnesota with the with the heavier soils, so that's kind of more the prime egg. Um, but these soils up here, especially if they're under uh, irrigation, 
can grow just a really, really diverse amount of crop. Uh, this is basically, at least for my region, where all of the potato growers are, which is a extremely um, desirable soil class. Um, we get some kidney beans, uh, you know, a lot of a, a very a wide variety of uh, basically dry beans, um, and basically your typical corn bean rotation. But we also get a lot of seed corn in this area, so it, it, it can be really, really diverse, especially with the water on it. Um, but it's interesting because a lot of that ground has been, I guess, slated for solar, um, and it's kind of doing a little bit of a market shift right now as, you know, our government right now has really pushed um, basically that we're shutting down um, any coal-fired um, power plants here, I think by 2035, I just read. And um, basically this little area, Sherburne County mainly in our area, is uh, right next to one of the biggest coal-fired uh, plants. And so there is a lot of solar leases that were put in place, you know, 10 plus years ago, and there wasn't really a prospect that they were going to go in place. And now um, there is a potential for a really big market shift with, um, you know, basically thousands of really productive acres, um, again, underwater, under pivot that are looking to be basically, I'm going to call it under panel um, here really, really quickly and take a lot of growers uh, basically either off of their uh, farm operations or having to move and kind of shift. Um, and it's going to be a really big market disruptor in our area, I think, if this goes uh, you know, into full enactment. Over the past couple of years, really through the pandemic and coming out of it, uh, the supply chain has been fractured in many cases. And whether it's crops or maybe livestock producers in your region as well, if they're looking to upgrade buildings or, or build on if it's swine or maybe it's turkey. Um, have you seen the supply chain issues impede some of that progress? We saw that early on, I think a little bit. Uh, mostly there are some uh, egg cracking facilities up here that uh, had issues early on. I think for the most part, uh, our immediate area, we don't have a lot of hogs, at least kind of more in my core area um, that were as much impacted. I know, you know, southern part of my area was obviously with uh, some of those um, kill plants being uh, at least offline for a little while. Probably the bigger thing for our area is actually we've seen a really a big amount of growth. We have a lot of Pilgrim's Pride uh, broiler barns and those kind of facilities, so a pretty big integrator. And we've actually seen a lot of growth over the last two years um, to the point of I think we are adding another 30 broiler barns here. Uh, or they should be under construction in the next year or so. So actually, you know, kind of the opposite. It went from a little bit of a standstill to now we're kind of seeing pretty rapid growth to meet demand. On the labor side, not only in Minnesota, but uh, in a lot of other uh, parts of the country, uh, we're hearing about a, a lack of available workforce. How has that impacted producers in central Minnesota? I think... The same way, greatly so. Uh, you know, it's taken a lot more effort to retain quality um, quality labor. Uh, don't do a lot of dairy work myself, but <clears throat> we have some kind of in the area. And I'd say that's probably been a bigger impact to the dairy world is, um, you know, retaining good labor if they can find it or really recruiting for it. Uh, I hear more and more of the top producers are really making efforts to 
um, you know, almost have their own HR firm to really kind of dial in what they're going to have for consistent long-term help. And on top of that, um, a lot of those producers, if they can't find help, are switching more to at least or eyeballing the idea of robotic dairies just because they can't find consistent, uh, consistent labor force. Um, and then if they can find it, I mean, it's the same as anything. It's driving the margins down a little bit because uh, they're paying more for good labor retention. Um, but those are probably the big factors there. We've talked about uh, a lot of different factors, opportunities, and challenges. And before uh, you tell our listeners about how they can work with Compeer um, to, to navigate uh, this environment, any other topics that we haven't touched on yet that you think we should? Well, I think a fun one that I don't know if anybody else has really talked on is it kind of coincides with my, you know, some of this area, but uh, irrigation is a really big uh, focus, not only in my general area, but kind of statewide over the past little bit, just because we've had a, you know, a little touch of the drought over the past two years and the crops have for the most part come out of it. But, you know, it's, it, it's been in the back of everyone's mind, um, at least for the probably the past three years, uh, to the point of we would really only see irrigation on, again, like we talked about, like this really fine sandy ground for the most part. And over the past couple of years, I've gotten a lot more interested parties that are looking to, you know, improve, I'm going to say, these really prime pieces of ground. And this was probably for the markets went up even higher. But, you know, if they had, you know, their home farm or something like that, and even if it was a heavy piece of ground and maybe it was really well tiled, um, just a really nice ground, I saw more interest in adding the irrigation to that to kind of just take it to, I'm going to call it the, the premium class. So they had almost full control um of you know basically you know water on water off just they could really maximize their profits you know per the piece of ground they were looking on um so i saw a lot more interest in irrigation than we probably had seen you know the previous years that i started here uh and then on top of that it's kind of interesting because we're kind of at a crux too with irrigation and that uh these water rights are really popping up in our area just the capacity or the permit to irrigate, uh, we're seeing a lot of pushback a little bit from our current state legislature on how many uh, million gallons a year uh, an owner can put on there. Uh, we're seeing a little bit more scrutiny in the permitting process, which we maybe hadn't seen before. Uh, so there's a lot of different factors that are going to kind of pop up there on those water rights and how valuable that is. Um, we're just kind of seeing that kind of start to take place a little bit more here where I'm seeing more uh, value almost in the permit than in the land itself. It's uh, just just kind of starting to trickle in, which would be an interesting factor for our area. Andrew, how can people tap into the appraiser team at Compere Financial? Yeah, for additional information regarding the Compere Financial appraisal department, uh, we have a newsletter. Um, please go to www.compere.com and then navigate to the appraisal services page. Here you'll find information on our products, services uh, we offer, along with how to connect with the appraiser in your specific geographic region. And also uh, remember to sign up for our appraisal department's monthly newsletter, uh, which has the most current topics related to agricultural valuation in rural America. Join us next time to learn more from our internal appraisal experts. Compere Financial, committed to serving agriculture and rural America. Visit us at compere.com to sign up for our appraisal e-newsletter.